Bonjour, bonjour. Hey, welcome to the Buck and Bernie Show. And uh, here we are in Moab, and we're broadcasting live today from KZMU. How are yeah, you doing, Bernie? It's, it's really awesome. Uh, you know, today I did a pretty big hike to uh, Delicate Arches, and it was just awesome. Not too many people. It was about 70 degrees when I went there. It was about 90 when I went down, but it was nice. A good uh, sweat out. Yeah, it was really yeah, cool. So. It's just beautiful. I mean, I have friends of mine who are visiting from uh, San Francisco. So chef, uh, really, really good friend of mine, Roland Passo, he had a restaurant named La Folie, and he is now retired, and they, they're traveling a little bit the country, and uh, it was his first time here. And I got to tell you, they were so blown away with the Red Rocks, the the, the beauty of uh, of this this awesome country. I mean, it's just beautiful here. Yes, indeed. So uh, we're going to do our show today. We're going to talk about, well, we have Father's Day coming up next weekend. And yep. and I know this will be your first Father's Day. With yeah. the, it's my uh, first Papa's Day. It's, yeah. uh, it's really exciting. I mean, you know, the little one is... Uh, He's now 11 months, Jean-Bernard, and he's, you know, every day the, the, the kicks change. And it's, it's really a privilege for me to be able to to see him every single day and to be there for him and uh, and to cook with him. He was already cooking. Oh, we went fishing the other day at uh, Warner Lake and um, caught a nice big trout. It was, it was awesome. Nice, 11 nice. months old. Wow. So it's a life changer being a father, isn't it? Yes, it is. But, you know, when you say Father's Day, I mean, every time that I did Father's Day when I was working, it would be like, barbecue, what are we doing for the papa? Because it's always Mother's Day, and Papa's Day is kind of, oh, yeah, the dads are here too. And it's like, you know, so it's all about, for me, barbecue. Right. So, yeah, we talked about on Mother's Day, you take mother out for dinner. Yeah. Father's Day is... Barbecue it's day. Barbecue so day. It's barbecue. That's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, and yeah. we have a we have a really good friend of mine who is uh, joining us. His name is uh, Ray Lampe, uh, Doctor Barbecue. Uh, Ray, welcome to the show, my friend. Uh, it's great to hear you guys, and great to catch up. It's been a long time. So you know, we met in Punta Cana. I uh, see this guy with that uh, beautiful, um, beautiful white beard, and he's like, you know, taking over the whole beach and and barbecuing stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, look at this! This is really awesome. And then you and I met and talk, and uh, we're very passionate about uh, our craft. And actually, you taught me quite a lot. But the thing for me was really interesting is that. I'm from France, and when we say barbecue in France, it's, it's cooking on the grill. It is not like here, like what the true barbecue is. So uh, we have a lot of questions for you when it comes to, to barbecue, but can I ask you the first one? Sure. What is your background? How did you become the guru of barbecue? <laughs> well, thank you for all the nice words, and let me throw in that my thought that day was like, well, this guy's a fancy French guy. He's probably not going to be that much fun. And I was certainly wrong, and we've become great friends. You know, just because you cook different styles of food doesn't mean we aren't equally passionate about it. And that's we've always true. had that connection. That's like, and we've, that's why we've become such good friends. That's so very true. My career starts in high school. I was in 1971 or two or whatever it was, and... And there was a foods class, and my friends and I thought that might be kind of fun. We didn't much care about cooking. And so I signed up, and I, I knew there'd be some girls in there, and we'd get to eat once in a while. It never crossed my mind that the cooking was going to become something I really cared about. And honestly, from day one, I enjoyed the cooking, I got the whole process of it, and the reaction when people get to eat. But it wasn't barbecue. You know, it was just cooking. It was really, back then, it was teaching girls how to cook for their family. That's what it was. And, and it wasn't even these, these modern-day uh, culinary programs in high school. So fast forward, about I was about 25 years old, and I was the only one of my friends that knew how to cook. But I still never cooked any barbecue. And a friend of mine signed us up for a barbecue rib cooking contest in downtown Chicago. And this fall, it'll be 40 years since that happened. And... I went there, and all of a sudden, there was all these men there, mostly men, that were so passionate about cooking like I was, but they were cooking outside, and they had big fires, and they had big pieces of meat, and there was a cooler of beer, 
and truly, I was like, I have found my people because <laughs> the cooking was such a, a, a passion for me. But I also like to drink beer and goof off and and build like my friend could build me a cool big giant grill and 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 I had found my place in the culinary world and it's really true and 40 years later it's still the same way hey uh ray this is uh buck and uh i so barbecue is a good way to meet people right i mean what what better way to bring people together than a barbecue yeah well nice <laughs> to meet you buck by the way we uh we always think talk about that a lot barbecue is much more than a cuisine it, barbecue to a lot of people is that party um to a lot of people barbecue is just cooking hot dogs or or sausages on the grill and while when i my early days i was pretty snobby about that because barbecue was this finite thing that only southern people in the united states did i'm way over that i find that anybody's got a piece of meat and some fire and if you want to call your party a barbecue i don't care it's fine with me as long as you cook something on the grill that day so yes, the the passion. There's no other no other culinary thing except chili cooking that has spawned a whole huge competition circuit. Um, you know, I I wrote I wrote three books in the early 2000s about barbecue, and my agent said to me, "Well, they probably don't need any more barbecue cookbooks, so we need to find something else for you to do." And I ended up writing a tailgating book. But meanwhile, everybody else kept writing barbecue books. And think about that we're talking almost 20 years ago mm -hmm. he said well there's probably been enough barbecue cookbooks written well i don't know how many came out this year but it's probably a hundred so clearly i was wrong about that there I, are nobody, a lot, there's yes. nothing people are more passionate about than barbecue that's true so right there is different style of barbecues in different regions of the united states so can you take us on a little bit of a journey? So you have, uh, you know, um, you have some in Texas and you have some in other other states. So you have Kansas. Carolinas. And in, so can, can you tell us a little bit, take us on the journey and tell us a little bit what the differences are as well, if you don't mind. Yeah, it, it's really an interesting subject. Uh, I wrote a book about this year. One of those first three books was called Barbecue Road Trip. And I went around to explore these uh, regions of barbecue. <clears throat> and what I found was, no question, Kansas City, um, Memphis, the Carolinas, uh, these are real barbecue meccas, and they really care a lot about it. But when we start talking about the Carolinas, you're talking about North and South Carolina. And then what happens when you go over into Georgia? Do they not have barbecue there anymore? Um, what we found was, most of it was BS, that it was really Far, instead of those four regions or even six or eight, there was literally hundreds. Let's think about Texas, how big Texas is. Mm -hmm. uh, you've been to different parts of Texas probably, you guys. Oh, yeah. There's, if you go into East Texas and West Texas, they're not very similar places, and they don't do similar things. And if you get down in South Texas versus up in North Texas, it's just not like that. There's so many different regions, barbecue regions within Texas that it's, it's hard to fathom. Um, the one things that we found were genuine were, in Texas, they cooked a lot of brisket, and they cooked it using not so much mesquite. Everybody wants to talk about mesquite, but it's mostly post oak. So you know why they cooked a lot of briskets over post oak in Texas? Because mm -hmm. they had a bunch of briskets and they had a bunch of post oak. <laughs> when you yeah. get to the Carolinas, they cooked a bunch of hogs using hickory wood. You know why? Because they had a bunch of hickory wood. And, and that was the, you know, let's think about it. We're so spoiled now. You can cook with peach wood in Utah. Not a problem. You can get some shipped to your house. Um, but that's not how it was. It was like all cuisines. You know, we're so lucky as chefs now to be able to get ingredients from around the world. And in our case, one of the ingredients is cooking wood. Um, so... That's been the interesting emulsification of it, you know. The it's all come together now. But back then, they, I could tell you the story of the white barbecue sauce. So Alabama white barbecue sauce, very well known now. But this one is a pretty well tracked story. Um, the guys at Big Bob Gibson's in Decatur, Alabama. Big Bob was a guy, and it was a railroad town, and he had a grilling sort of thing in his yard, and he would cook chickens. 
to feed the railroad guys. And somehow, some way, he created this white barbecue sauce for the chickens, and it caught on. People liked it. Now, the, his cousins have a restaurant over in Huntsville, Alabama, so guess what they started to serve? <laughs> uh, the, the restaurant on the other side of town, uh, there's, there's a couple of them. And, of course, they started serving white barbecue sauce. Now, just like any other cuisine, is it because a guy that worked for Big Bob went to work across town and carried the recipe? Or did they just figure it out? Or was it his cousin and he was nice enough to share it? So it became this whole, it's really a northern Alabama thing. Um, and back then, it truly was a regional thing. And it has blown up, though, because, frankly, social media has, has fueled this, like a lot of food stories. So now everybody in the world knows about Alabama barbecue sauce. But it really was one place that started, and it became in the neighborhood because everybody in the neighborhood liked it. Um, but then there's this, the stories that don't hold up, like that in Carolina you would get coleslaw on your sandwich, right? Is that something that you guys have mm-hmm, heard? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Yep. If you go to Memphis, if you go to Memphis and you order a barbecue sandwich, you better tell them not to put slaw on it unless unless you like slaw, because every barbecue place in Memphis is going to put slaw on your sandwich. Um, but wait a minute. I thought Memphis was the place where all they eat is dry rubbed rib, but that's not true either. They. I once asked a guy. I was working on a project, and I was in an old barbecue restaurant where the guy apologetically told me he'd only been working there for like 25 years as the pit master that he was you know he, he didn't think he'd really cut his teeth yet and i said now tell me about the wet ribs versus dry ribs and he said well we have both and i said is this something different he goes no if you want them dry i'll serve them to you dry if you want them wet i'll put a little barbecue sauce on them i don't really care that much about it and and so it you know with so many of the, and then I asked him about the barbecue spaghetti. If you've never been to Memphis, every restaurant in town serves barbecued spaghetti as a side dish. I asked him about the barbecue spaghetti, and then he lit all up because he thought his barbecue spaghetti was the best in town. But oh, and this is who I'm going to blame for a lot of this. The New York food writers don't bother going to Memphis and eating in all the restaurants. They just heard about the rendezvous and the dry ribs and the wet ribs. And that's what they write about. Now, it's not just New Yorkers anymore, but I blame the New York food writers for writing about a lot of this stuff. And they didn't want to go to Decatur, Alabama. They didn't want to go to Memphis. So they just keep writing the same story over and over. And, and it fuels it. And so we get these these one little pocket that became such a big deal, which is fine, but you missed all the other pockets where it wasn't a big deal or where there was something different. Uh, and that's just... So, in my opinion, there's literally hundreds of different regions of barbecue, and I could take you to a bunch of them. And it usually starts with one guy did something different. So let's talk about Big Bob Gibson and the white barbecue sauce. Well, if you ever okay, had okay, it, hold, hold on. Just before you go there, I want to tell our listeners that uh, you're on KZMU, of course, and you listen to Ray Lampe, Doctor Barbecue, and uh, just to give everybody a little bit of uh, feedback, he was a judge on Smoke on uh, Food Network, NBC uh, on the Pro Chefs. Um, did so many different on the Cabo, Cabo Wabo Tequila, Kansas City Steakhouse Company, National Pork Board. So you you are very very involved doing tons of things. But I got to tell you guys, he cooked 300 barbecue contests and won 300 awards. Doctor Barbecue, how the hell do you do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't feel free to interrupt me as needed. Get on the roll. <laughs> how the hell do you do that? And let's go back to the white sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Let's well, go back to that white barbecue it, sauce. It's just passionate. Uh, yeah, well, the white barbecue sauce. Anyway, it tastes like salad dressing. So I tend to think he was making some coleslaw dressing one day, and he dropped a cooked chicken in it, and that was his <laughs> new dish. And, oh, that's and, pretty and, good. I mean, if you ever tried the two things, it'd be like, okay, that makes sense. Right. He good. used what he had on hand. That's That's what chefs do, you know. So, exactly, that's right. Sometimes the, the, the chocolate falls in the peanut butter, like the, the famous commercial. And so the competition thing, you know, that's part of the reason is because we're men and we like to compete. I once stood on the beach with Bernard and a few other friends, and we were 
competing at who could chop up the pig the fastest. Oh, yes. <laughs> remember that? Yes, I remember that, yes. So I have a question. Uh, yeah. Bernie, when you so we're so when you met Ray, he's, he's got know. the white beard. Yes. Was it... Did it I have sauce in it? <laughs> no, there was no sauce in it. Is, is that your Ray, sauce catcher, Ray? No, 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 no. Ray, Ray is Ray is like is the the ultimate gentleman. I got to tell you, always clean cut, always. Uh, I mean, such a professional, just amazing. I have something to ask you. Talk to yep. me about rubs, and then I want you to talk to me about smoke. Well, those are to me the two most important things. Uh, we we. We default to barbecue sauce very often as the primary flavor of barbecue, and that's not how barbecue experts see it. We think of barbecue sauce as a condiment. So really for me, it's at my restaurant, we use salt and pepper. We don't even use, that is our rub, is salt and pepper. So it really becomes all about the smoke and the, the proper degree of doneness. And to me, that's so important in any big protein cooking. It's, if you get it done right, it's probably going to taste good because it's going to be so enjoyable in your mouth. So wood and smoke is a key part of cooking barbecue. Now, we talk about the different kinds of wood. And like I said, we, we're lucky now we have access to all of them. But the four primary woods that we like to use are oak and hickory, which both are really in abundance in the U.S., so it's pretty easy to get them. And then we use a lot of apple wood, and we use a lot of cherry wood. Mm -hmm. uh, the apple and the cherry, as you could expect, are milder flavors, a little sweeter. And the oak and hickory, because they're those big old hard trees, is a stronger wood flavor. So most of us like to use a combination of the two. Because uh, if you're going to use hickory or oak, you have to be careful. You can over-smoke the food. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's a, a misunderstanding. We, we got into a conversation so in my lifetime as a barbecue guy, all this interest in food science came along. And we learned that the smoke ring, you know, that beautiful red color on the outside of barbecue that comes from the wood, but you can create it without wood. You could take a little bit of what we call uh, pink salt or the uh, um, tender quick, mm -hmm. put it on your meat, wash it right off, and you get that same color, and your meat hasn't even gone in the smoker yet. So it's an interesting thing. But we do like that. We like that color. But now that will cease at a certain temperature in the, of the meat. The curing that creates that smoke ring will quit happening. What won't quit happening is the flavoring of the meat. It will continue to get smoky until it gets smoky and bitter and nobody's going to like it. So over-smoking is a big problem. And when, when people start out trying to learn how to cook barbecue, and oftentimes they're not chefs, they just figure if a little bit of smoke is good, a lot must be better. And that's just not how it works. Um, we also like a clean fire. We talk about that. If you, you know, we all know what a fire looks like when you start trying to douse it out. If you put a lid on a garbage can that's got a fire in it, you're mm -hmm. going to get some nasty smoke. Yep. And the same thing happens in a barbecue pit. So we want the fire to burn freely. So that's a tricky thing to do. Um, my personal solution for a lot of this is, Use apple wood, use cherry wood. Pecan wood is sort of a middle of the road if you can get your hands on some pecan. But if you're going to use oak and hickory and, and mesquite is the worst, you've got to go easy on it because oversmoking food is a bad thing. If you undersmoke the food, everybody's going to still enjoy it. If you oversmoke it, there's going to be some bad meals. What temperature is the best temperature when you are smoking? Historically, we say 225. Mm -hmm. But most of us have lost interest in that. <laughs> in modern society, we need to hurry that up a little bit. And my personal feeling is that you can go to 250 to 275, and you're still cooking barbecue. Now, there's a lot of, a lot of barbecue cooks nowadays that want to rush that even more and cook at 400 degrees. Now, does that sound like smoking food to you, Bernard, or does that sound like roasting? No, it sounds like you're on the beach and it's 110 outside and you forgot your sunscreen. <laughs> Me and Sue were talking about that the other day about how hot it was. <laughs> I mean, you just burn. Um, it's what so, it is. I mean, and then they what they do is they braise it. So they'll, they'll cook it in oh, the open, they'll okay. get a little crust on it, and then they'll wrap it up in foil or put it in a pan 
put a little liquid with it so the liquid will break it down, but it's a seared and braised product versus a true smoked piece of meat. Mm -hmm. So so keeping on that, just one more question, because I know that Buck wants to ask you a lot of questions. Uh, sous vide. What about if you sous vide your brisket first and then uh, do, doing the curing process and everything and then smoke it? Have you tried something like this? Yeah, it's funny you ask that. A, uh, my other French chef friend that lives here in town, uh, Guy, Chef Guy, he, he had called me one day and he said, Ray, and we've had these conversations much like you and I have, mm -hmm. and he said, I'm getting ready to do a presentation for the ACF, the American Culinary Federation, and he said, uh, I really think I want to try and explain to them that sous vide and barbecue are cousins of similar cooking process. And I said, I completely agree with you because it's the way we cook barbecue properly, that long, slow cooking as the meat breaks down without drying out. Now, we don't, sous vide is extreme because you would only cook at 145. But yep. when I was taught how to cook a brisket, a long time ago by a meat scientist he said that at 165 ish the meat really begins to aggressively break down internal temperature of the meat and he said at 180 ish it starts to really hard drip loss so if you could somehow hold that meat at 170 it would eventually break down this is what we're talking about if you were cooking a brisket now not a mm -hmm. smoker yeah, yeah, yeah. If you could hold it at 170 internal temp for extended time the meat would break down and it wouldn't get very dry and does that that's what sous vide is so yep. i think they're totally cousins and yes there's a lot of people that are doing that now they're sous vide things and then finishing them on the smoker on the grill There's much debate about which you should do first. That's what uh, that I was going to ask that question. What, what, or does it matter? Have you, have, are you have any knowledge on that? The smoke first, smoke after. It. So I haven't done it, but the best. I, I just I'm a barbecue guy. I just you know I just don't need to sous vide anything, but I'm not against it. It just doesn't you know it doesn't interest me. But the best story I heard was um, that if you smoked it first and then sous vide a piece of meat that the smoke flavor in there would could get a little rancid tasting i do agree with, i agree with that yeah that would make sense so yep. to me yep. it would i would sous vide it and then put it in there That's but what you also do. need to develop that crust that we call bark that you know well-developed crust um do you guys do you guys know chef rich rosendale no no i will i'll connect you with him uh, rose chef rich was uh a Bocusto or candidate for, from the U.S. a few years back. And he oh, wasn't yeah. the guy that won, but he began that with him. They put a lot into it, and the guy a couple years later won. Uh, Rich is also from West Virginia, and he's a barbecue guy. And he could speak for hours about sous vide and barbecue. Um, and he's really an interesting guy. I'll connect you with him because you'd love to talk to him. Um, but I, I think it's something that guys should experiment with. I'd rather see you do that than cook the meat at 400 degrees on the barbecue. Right. I, do agree. I think sous vide yeah. and then smoking makes sense. So, Ray, what about, you know, these uh, pellet smokers that are real popular now? Uh, any opinion on those? Yeah, I, I'll always have an opinion. Don't worry, bud. <laughs> <laughs> if you can throw something out unrelated to cooking, I'll have an opinion. You can count on that. Um, it, it's, it, yes, I, uh, I actually, a good friend of mine uh, worked worked with joe traeger when joe traeger the guy that traeger is the big name in the business uh a guy a friend of mine called fast eddie was a welder and a barbecue cook in kansas city so he bought one of those traegers i mean we're talking 25 years ago and he he looked at it and it was kind of flimsy metal and it made sense to him that if he insulated this thing he could make it cook better so he made an insulated cabinet to go on top of this pellet smoker and it really worked well and he under he was a fireman also so he understood that if the the smoke would bank down so he was like the first guy i ever saw put his exhaust stack down at the cooking grate level so that the the, the smoke would smoke and heat would bank down evenly and and so eddie was a good friend of mine and i had one of his cookers way back in the day and and so i've always been a fan of pellet cooking and we know They've been very successful in the competition world. They, the fuel source is consistent. A lot of restaurants use them and like them. Now, I got caught up with Big Green Egg as uh, working for them as their chef for 
17 years. So I really didn't use a pellet cooker because I used what they make, which is a ceramic cooker that burns charcoal. And I did that for 17 years, and that ended a few years ago. And I recently started working with a pellet grill company again. And uh, I'm a big fan. There's nothing you can't really do. Even the the modern ones can sear. The way ours is made, you can slide the the way a typical pellet cooker is, if you're not familiar with it, there's a little burn pot in the bottom, and then there's a big deflector that goes over the whole thing until you cook indirect. Ours has a little setup where you can slide that over and sear your steak right over the fire. But but typically what people buy them for is smoking and roasting and smoke roasting, and, and they're just great at it. it they seem versatile. Pellets are yeah. made yeah. completely out of wood. They're the, uh, if they, if they <clears throat> extrude the, the it's sawdust, if they extrude it at the right temperature, the right moisture content, and the right pressure, they don't have to add anything to it. So they're 100% wood. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan. You can understand why they've gotten so popular, too. You turn it on, and you come back 10 minutes later, and it's ready to cook. Yeah, it gives a way for the novice to get into smoking, I believe. Yeah, that's, that's very true. That's very true. Everybody, you're on KZMU. You're listening to the Buck and Bernie Show, and we have with Ray Lempe. Uh, Dr. Barbecue. Dr. Barbecue was on Food Network, CBS, uh, E! News, AGTV, uh, NFL uh, Network, the Discovery Channel, CNN, uh, Martha Stewart Living, and Howard Stern Show. Tell me about that show. How was that show? Which one? Howard Stern. Oh, <laughs> I didn't get to be on. I had done a, like an AP thing or something. I forget what we were talking about. It was something very topical to the weekend. We were talking about burgers for 4th of July. Or, and I said something that caught their eye, and they used the, the segment. So I didn't actually get to interact with them. Oh, that, um, that's that's so <laughs> But you know what, though? It's, it's, I didn't have it's, to it's, tell my it, darkest it, secrets. I did, but they did <laughs> use me, and, and it was pretty cool it's awesome audience so you do so much for everybody in the country who are passionate about barbecue you do your speaker you do demonstration you have an awesome restaurant we'll talk about it in a minute but uh, you know i'm a sauce guy i'm a, i love making sauces because the base of french cuisine is really how expert you are making a sauce and it is the same thing when it comes to barbecue sauce so what is your favorite barbecue sauce and and what is what what is your philosophy when it comes to barbecue sauce yeah you know i mean as much as i downplay barbecue sauce i say it's a condiment it sure is important and probably what really sets american barbecue apart from the rest of the world because you say the french only grill but that's not true the whole world smokes meat you know they all figured out a way to kind of offset it whether it was for curing or 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 grill or for you know just for flavor so barbecue sauce really to me is what sets us apart mm-hmm. um my my favorite one the one that i started making it's on the table at the restaurant and i started making it 35 years ago uh and it, it, you know we all have those projects that go on for a decade or two, and that one did. But it's been locked down for about 20 years now. It is a tomato base with a little bit of lemon juice. So the barbecue sauce is its these huge flavors, and then you got to get them balanced. So you got to have you got to have a, a, a very acidic ingredient, normally vinegar or a little bit of of, uh, of juice, lemon or lime juice, and then you've got to have a big spice element you know you want it to be fiery mm, yep. and then you've got to have a base and then you've got to have a big sweet element so when you take a big pile of sugar and a bowl of vinegar that's a heck of a way to start making a sauce it, it's you know you started with it's like fire and ice it, it, you're you're starting at the other ends of the spectrum so now you've got to balance it and uh, that's the fun of it for me I, I i became a better barbecue sauce maker when i learned to put more vinegar in uh Mm -hmm. i just was always afraid to it just seemed like that would make it too vinegary but it doesn't so you just got to get the balance right and then you've got to take that so tomato is generally in there as well so tomato and a big sweetener and a big acid and that's you know that's a heck again that's a heck of a way to start a sauce and then you've got to add something that's going to make it interesting and for me my favorite one that i that i make a celery seed is the dominant um, off-center flavor to it. 
And and I really like that. And and it's been a hit at the restaurant. And it's not normal around here. Mm-hmm. People around here normally would be after the really sweet sauces or a or a vinegar. I mean, a, a, you, you can unbalance it hard to the vinegar side. And uh, it goes pretty well on barbecue when you think about that big fatty piece of pork and some vinegar-based sauce. It's, it's a pretty good combination. Uh, but I, I prefer the ones right in the middle and with some kind of interesting flavor. So I'll tell you about one other one that's on our table at the restaurant, and it's peach chipotle. Ooh. So I take peach preserves or peach puree or whatever you got, uh-huh. very sweet, and then combine it with you take the, get that little can of chipotles and throw them in the, in the blender and puree them up. And that's what you start with, a big pile of peach jelly and some chipotles, which are smoked jalapenos. And, again, those are getting those balanced is pretty important. Yeah, I mean, I tasted, I have tasted a lot of barbecue sauce, and the thing that sometimes really makes me like go, ugh, is just so sweet. And, you, and you're right. What you want is you want it to be really well-balanced. And, and it's what, when we make sauces, that's what we look for. Make sure that you have yep. the right balance between the smoky, the sweet, the, 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 all the umami. You know, you make sure that all those are really, are really uh, complementing the protein instead of dominating the protein. Uh, let's, let's talk about how disappointing it is as a chef that Americans like everything so sweet. I know. Right. I know. Yeah. I know. So uh, uh, talking about sweet... Uh, it's very sweet to talk to you, but at the same time, I want to <laughs> yeah. say that I need to know about what is your favorite protein. Because we talk only about meat. We, I would like you to talk to me about meat, to talk to us about meat. But what about other protein who really work well? So it may be like fish or, or others. Um, yeah, I mean, meat, obviously. You know, when people ask me what's my favorite one, it, they're like my children, you know. I, I like them all the same. Um, and, you know, America, we cook a lot of pork, we cook a lot of beef, that's for sure, and chicken. But we forget about turkey. You know, we, we I'm with underuse you. <laughs> turkey so much. And turkey has so much more flavor than chicken. And, and mm-hmm. we just, I've actually been working with uh, one of the big turkey brands, trying to get them to break those things down for us somehow that we, I told them, there's no such thing as a six or eight ounce portion that I can saute or grill at my restaurant of turkey. And there's plenty of six or eight ounce portions on it. So I really enjoy turkey. Um, and salmon is the obvious one for us. I, mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of salmon, unless I happen to be in, in Seattle and it just came out of the, out of the water. Yeah. Um, but people love that stuff, as you know. So, But we do smoke down here. We smoke amberjack. Um, oh yeah! I don't know what they call it on your coast. It's, I think yeah, amberjack, something, something, something. Amberjack is really it's, good. It's not as oily as like a uh, uh, you know some of the real oily fish, but it's got enough to hold up. And down here in Florida, it's real common. We cook amberjack and then we smoke a piece of it, and then we make a fish spread out of it with you know mayonnaise and oh, yeah, some cool. citrus and onion and garlic, of course, and some jalapenos. And that's real popular here. And the amberjack is a is a great fit for. The other one we're seeing down here a lot and is cobia. Yeah, um, cobia is good. I don't know if you guys are. Yeah, cobia is yeah, very good. Really good. And, and go ahead, go ahead. Underloved, you know, you know who's working a lot with cobia is uh, Cindy Hudson. Mm-hmm. Cindy works with yep. the, the, one of them. Mm-hmm. Purveyors. Um, question: Pork. So, which cut of the pork do you like to work to work the best with? Shoulder, <laughs> the butt. You know, but, I'm going to say the fatty part. <laughs> no, yeah, I know, I know. But if you, if you, let's say that I'm, I'm just a novice. I never really. I, I just got a smoker, and I, I don't really know how to do barbecue. What would you recommend for a novice? It's like you know, this is the things that you should do. So like this, it's pretty safe. What would you recommend? Yeah, and it's always. I joke about it, but the answer is something with some fat in it. Yes. Uh, that's the parts we like. You know, if we're cooking a chicken, we barbecue guys, we like the thighs. If we're cooking a pig, we like the belly or the shoulder. The pork shoulder, pork butt, is that's the thing to learn how to cook on. Because if you undercook it a little bit, it's still going to be really good. You might have to chop it or slice it. If you, if you cook it just right, you're going to get right to that point where it just 
falls apart and just shreds in your hands. And, and if you overcook it a little bit, you'll still have that, and it might get a little bit dry, but there's so much. Not only is there a big fat cap on top that sort of self-bases it while it cooks, there's all the internal fat, and that's what we look for. Um, so it, it's going to cook a lot of that fat out, so you don't be scared of it, but, but it gives you the ability to cook it for a long time. If you, if you cook, you know, if, if a pork loin, I like pork loin just like everybody else, but it doesn't allow you to cook it for a long time. There was a, in Albuquerque one time, there was an old barbecue guy, Mr. Podrell, and all he cooked was briskets. And I was in Albuquerque, which seemed kind of odd to me. Well, it turned out he was a Texas guy. But I said, why do you like to cook briskets so much? And he said, because they allow me to cook them for a long time. And that made sense to me because that crust that we talk about on the outside mm-hmm. that, that is that we call the bark, uh, that's going to happen over a long time. And I think of it as like a roux. You can't just sear that and get the same effect. It's going to take a long time to develop that, like a roux in, uh, in Creole cooking. And, and then it also is going to take a long time to do that, that breaking down, but all the collagen and all that stuff. So for me, a pork, but a brisket, so I'm talking about a brisket, which also is a great piece of meat for cooking barbecue. Same thing. It's the fatty piece, but it doesn't have the internal fat. And that one's easy to screw up. A pork butt is the perfect way to start because you can't screw it up. It's going to be a good supper no matter what you do. Now, personally, and, and we get this a lot here in the, in the Spanish part of Florida, uh, the picnic, which is the actual, so the pork butt is the shoulder blade, and the, the picnic is the top of the arm, the, like the bicep. Mm-hmm. And I like that because it's a little more knuckle meat kind of a thing, and that's always my preference. But same, it's right next to it. It's a, still a big fatty piece of pork, and man, it's good when you cook it all day. So Ray, um, what about ribs? Ribs are, you know, real popular. They're great, but uh, there's art to cooking ribs because you know they can dry out easy, overcook. So uh, what, what is the best me- best method of uh, cooking ribs? Yeah, ribs is, is something I, I people ask me often. What what's my favorite thing to cook? And mm-hmm. the answer is ribs. Not necessarily if I'm eating them, but people are so passionate about ribs. And uh, brisket has taken a lot of the thunder over the last decade. But historically, ribs are something that uh, people just are care about so much. I always say that people, everybody I know, can tell you where they ate the best slab of ribs they ever ate in their life. And mm-hmm. For me, it was in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, at a place called Dreamland, a famous old place. And uh, the so the competition guys did this year, 25 years ago. They were all were you know we were the test pilots in the barbecue competition world, trying to figure out what was the best way to cook these cuts for that perfect bite. Instead of just cooking for a bunch of people, we were trying to get that perfect bite. And the rib guys in Texas, they started cooking. Uh, we mostly prefer St. Louis cut ribs because the same answer. It's like the dark meat versus the baby back ribs are white meat. And you guys know this, but not all the listeners do. Those don't come from a baby hog. They come from the same hog. It's just a good name, baby back ribs. What do we call them? We call them loin back ribs because mm-hmm. that's what they really are. Um, so we prefer to St. Louis ribs, like with the cartilage cut off, the, the, the sternum cut off. And so they would smoke them for a while and put them in foil. Now, this is the magic combination that I'm telling you 25 years later, the competition guys are almost all using this. They put down, first you put down a bunch of brown sugar, and I mean more than you would think is possible, and some honey on it, and a little bit of tiger sauce. You know what tiger sauce is? Uh, It's on the shelf. It's like a Caribbean hot sauce. Uh, Just been there forever. For whatever reason, one of these guys started with the tiger sauce and then this is going to bore you then they use squeeze margarine in the, the blue bottle that you see oh, to put on your oh. corn or your baked potatoes okay that's what they started <clears throat> using and, and then you put the ribs on top of this and you do the same thing a little more brown sugar a little more honey a little more uh, uh of the <laughs> squeeze margarine and then some of the tiger sauce and you wrap this whole thing up in foil and so what happens, it turns into like a caramel sauce, essentially. Um, it kind of sticks on the ribs. A lot of it ends up down in the bottom of the foil. But this was the process. So then they wrap this whole thing up and throw it back in for a while. So it sort of steams now down to the – and then that's the tricky part. What exact is the degree of doneness for ribs? 
So if you're cooking them at home, you might want to leave them in that foil package with or without the margarine and sugar for uh, till they're really tender, falling off the bone. I'm making fake quotes. Uh-huh. So because your friends are impressed. And you know why your friends are impressed with that? Because they don't they can never cook anything to get it to be tender and juicy and falling off the bone like that. They don't know how. For barbecue, real barbecue guys, we want it short of that. I want those ribs to be, when I bite it, it comes away from the bone real clean right there, mm-hmm. but the rest of it stays together. It doesn't just slop off the bone. And that's the tricky part, getting just that perfect degree of doneness. Um, now, to this day, 25 years later, I'm telling you, there's half the top barbecue competition guys are still using pretty much that exact process with the brown sugar and honey and tiger sauce and margarine now some of them have at least stepped it up to butter but the blue bottle margarine is the secret ingredient of the barbecue rib circuit wow i didn't know about margarine (laughs) so we have a we have a good buddy uh friend in common the guy fieri and you did uh, tailgate warriors. So I know that tailgates, I never learned that when I came into the United States because I didn't know what tailgate was at the beginning. You know, going to the game, you have tailgate. So what do you recommend for everybody when, if they are, let's say, organizing a tailgate with some friends and they're going to be cooking there on the parking lot? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. We, I did that show with Guy for a couple of years and because it was Guy and he, he wasn't quite as famous yet, but... He was famous enough that we got to do it at the stadiums and had, you know, like there was always uh, Daryl Johnson that played for the Cowboys was a judge with me. And, I mean, Michelle Beadle from ESPN Uh judged with us. Uh, Eddie George. I mean, it was – and the guy was an old Tennessee – or a a Houston Oilers fan. He was so excited to meet Eddie George. He was like (laughs) a little kid. It was pretty fun. Uh, But – I tell people, I actually wrote a book about it. It's out of print these days, but I wrote the NFL Game Day Cookbook. And there's different ways to approach it. First thing you got to do, if you say, I'm cooking the tailgate tomorrow, you got to take it serious. You know, you, people are coming there expecting you to cook a nice meal for them. And uh, a lot of guys, I think, I, they just kind of phone it in and go get some brats and, and burn them out on the grill out there. And, and uh, you know, of course, they're not all chefs, but still take it serious and make your best effort. My favorite thing to do is the ribs I was just describing. Again, I don't use the margarine and I don't use all that brown sugar anymore. But you do a similar process where you smoke them for a while and wrap them in foil for a little while to kind of steam them up. And then I would take them, cool them down, cut them into like two-bone, three-bone pieces, put sauce on them, and then pack them up. And I used to really like to do it, wrap them in foil in a cardboard box and put them in the refrigerator overnight and take them out to the game. And then light the grill and then you take them out of the cardboard box and you really just got to warm them up on the grill they already got sauce on them and the reason they use the cardboard box when you're done you just throw it away you didn't have to mess up your cooler or anything and that's one of my favorite things to do i I always enjoyed that but if it's going to be cold make a pot of chili and bring it out there but the main thing is be serious about it you know i I think people they they just uh they it's a good idea but then they don't do it right the other thing is Always bring some cookies or something to put out first because there's going to be some guests at your tailgate party that <laughs> might like to have a cookie instead of a beer first thing in the morning, and mm-hmm. you want to take care of them too. That's very true. Um, I travel to South Korea many times, like four or five times I was teaching there, and uh, I realized that they have also a Korean barbecue technique. And I know that you like uh, you like that that uh, that international flair as well because you're looking not only at uh, barbecue in the United States but on a global um, platform. So can you tell us about your favorite uh, barbecue region in the world besides the United States, of course? Yeah, we've uh, we've actually adopted some Korean stuff for our menu because it's just such a good fit. Uh, we take, we put, we brine our turkey breasts, and then we put gochujang on them before they go in the smoker, just on top. Ooh. And it it kind of disappears, but it but doesn't really. It, it would be different if you didn't do that. Um, and we also make kimchi in house, and and it, now it's not. 
a Korean. Well, we get, we do get Koreans that like it. I call it gringo kimchi because it's it's only about four days old and it's not too funky and it's not too spicy, but it goes so well with the smoked meats. Um, so yeah, South Korean or Korean would be my favorite. We also have like our you always got to use your leftover ribs that didn't sell today. So tomorrow we take them, we cut them up, and we toss them in the skillet with some Korean barbecue sauce that we make and. Um, it's a great fit as well. So I think Korean, while we didn't set out at the restaurant to have this Korean influence, we ended up with it just because it's such a good fit with the, you know, with what we do. And it's exotic enough, but it's familiar for you Americans. I've also been really involved in the barbecue scene in England of all places. And what happened over there, I uh, went over there to... We started looking at the cuts of meat, and of course they were they cut a little different. It's Europe, and mm-hmm. you know, but I didn't have a problem with that. I said, well, let's just you know, let's just learn how to cook these cuts. It's the same hog, it's the same cow. We, we can figure out how to do this, and and that's not what they wanted. It, 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 we you know the the demand was basically to do things like we did in the United States, and and they import uh, American Western beef because they want those big fatty briskets and. And the big short ribs, and, and that's what they want. It's really pretty interesting how it's spun. And the sauces, I I started helping bring these sweet sauces over there, but I was fully expecting it to be rejected and evolve into something more, uh, with a little more acid to it and not all that sugar. And, man, it's gone the exact opposite. They are, their competitions and their restaurants are, they just think that this is how the Americans do it, and that's how they want to serve it, and they've developed a, a like for it. Uh, the chefs of, of England are probably mad at us because we're starting to – the barbecue is sweetening up the palates of the of the Brits as well, and, and I hate to see it, frankly. I was hoping – I was looking forward to seeing what it was going to evolve to, and it, it hasn't evolved. It's gone straight to all the American tendencies, and I guess that's just the way it is because that's what real barbecue is. So I'm really surprised that they will have, have um, cuts, for example, of different animals, such as lamb, for example, because lamb can be really nice and fatty. So I think that it would lend itself yes. to barbecue as well. And even like, you know, you know, other fowls, such, such as duck or, uh, or mm-hmm. even, you know, uh, geese or, or something a little bit different. So have you tried? Yeah. Have you played with that a little bit? I have, yeah. I mean, I not so much fowl. Uh, it's just I just don't. Well, I mean, I've cooked some duck. Duck cooks beautifully on the grill. Oh, yeah. The problem with cooking a duck on the smoker is you lose that crispy skin, and it just kind of not. You just can't get it back once mm-hmm. you've smoked that thing for a long time. It's just kind of a shame to give up that skin on the duck. Um, but the lamb, my gosh, for sure, lamb shoulder. Nothing cooks better on a grill than lamb shoulder, and they you do see that over there, but. I tried to encourage them to add lamb as a category to their barbecue contest because it made complete sense to me, and they just didn't care that much about it. There, there was resistance, and they just wanted to do it like the Americans. So it's it's really surprising. Now, I mean, it's not over yet. I would I bet you if you went to some a little bit more refined dining, you'd see some crossover of smoked meats going in that direction because it's just natural for them you know lamb here is such an exotic thing it's ridiculous uh and over there it's a normal thing to eat and why wouldn't they cook it at the barbecue so you know i'm looking at your menu right now and uh you have i think that you you maybe you have you have um maybe borrowed a word that i really love sexy so tell me about your sexy pig I'm looking at the menu and say, oh, sexy pig. I mean, I would order that right away. I don't even want to know what it is. I know it's going to be a well, sexy we've been waiting pig. For you, Bernard. We've been <laughs> <laughs> so when I got into the restaurant business, I, I never really was a restaurant guy. You know that. Uh, the only other restaurant I ever worked for was Justin Timberlake's restaurant in Manhattan. And it was a similar role where I did a lot of talking and basically taught them how to cook barbecue. So down here, I, I've avoided the restaurant business until these people called me that have a few successful restaurants, and they said, would you like to do this with us? And I said, yes, because they knew how to run restaurants. But their original restaurant has uh, a burger that you eat on two donuts, and Ooh. they have Ooh. a burger that you make. Like, they take macaroni and cheese and make a little patty and 
bread it and fry it, and that becomes the bun, and and, and everything's got a silly name. Oh, so it was man. just a natural that we would have names like that when we started doing the menu. So sex, the sexy pig is really just a barbecue sandwich. It's pulled pork, and it's not. So we, we don't pull the pork real fine like that. We just kind of pull it off the bone and break it up enough so it can go on a bun. And a little bit of a purple slaw, pretty uh, sort of a, excuse me, a vinegary kind of purple slaw, and just some barbecue sauce. So it's a simple barbecue sandwich, a toasted bun, nice toasted brioche bun. But it's really just our basic barbecue sandwich. But, you know, we, we figured we'd give it a, a sexy name. Now, right down the menu, there is the stunt pig that is not a normal sandwich. <laughs> we got in trouble when we first opened because someone didn't understand how we would call that a sandwich and it had pork and pork belly and bacon and, uh, and sausage and I don't know there's a whole bunch of other stuff on there and a guy complained that he couldn't eat it after ordering the stunt pig but mm-hmm. sexy pig you, you would like that you would you would certainly order it and you would enjoy it you know what I cannot wait can you tell us where your restaurant is located Yeah, right where I live, in St. Petersburg, Florida. I uh, I got together with Sandy about 13, 14 years ago, and Sandy lives in St. Petersburg. I lived about an hour away, and I came over here and looked around, and St. Petersburg is a pretty nice place, and if you haven't, it, it's gotten better and better, and if you haven't been here in a long time, you really should come see us. It's a, we are out on the beach of Tampa. So Tampa is kind of the big city, and we're kind of the peninsula where all the fun is. And uh, so that's where the restaurant is. It worked out that way. I was willing to, when they wanted to do it, we looked a lot of different places, but it ended up 10 minutes from my house, right across the street from the brewery that I like to drink at. And uh, it's a perfect situation, right across the street from the baseball park. Um, it's And the neighborhood just keeps getting better and better. It's in St. Petersburg, Florida. Come see us. Yes, you guys got to go. And uh, you can follow Dr. Barbecue on uh on all his uh, Instagram and Facebook and, and everything. I mean, it's really, really awesome. You're very, you, you, do, you do a lot of things, and that's, that's, that keeps it very exciting for everyone. So everyone should follow you and go and visit you as well. And if you don't have one of Dr. Barbecue's cookbook, you can always get it where? Oh, they're all on Amazon. Just look around for my name, uh, Ray Lampy or Dr. Barbecue. I'm not hard to find. So, the Frenchman uh, has a question, uh, and it is as follows. Where did barbecue uh, come from? Was it campfire uh, uh, cooking? Was it speed fire uh, cooking? What was it? Well, I, so what could have come first before meat over fire? No one said, well, I, I need to cook this. I'm going to make a pot. They, they, the meat somehow got cooked directly over the fire. Mm-hmm. To me, that's, that's the origin of barbecue. Now, American barbecue, oh, there's plenty of people who want to fight about it, and who knows? I, I mean, Tim Bernard, there were no ranges when, when people were coming over here. Oh, I know. When the Native Americans were here, when the, when the French people came from the islands, um, there was no... There was no rain, so this is how they cooked the food. So uh, the evolution of it became, and North Carolina takes credit for it. Oh, I don't know. It's, I don't think anyone will ever quite nail it down. But they did start cooking hogs over there, and they did start using what we know to be American barbecue sauce now. So, But I guarantee you could find a whole bunch of Texans who would fight with you about that. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was a melting pot, really, right? I mean, different I different so. segments. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, the slaves were even into barbecuing back in the days, and so I think it's just like kind of... The slaves absolutely were and, into barbecuing. I, I, had this conversa- I had this conversation with somebody about the slaves the other day, and it was, uh, you know, the guy said, well, think about it. Somebody had to go kill 10 hogs, clean them, dig a gigantic pit, chop all the wood the fire and then do the put the 10 hogs over there and cook them now who do you think did that right so and i the think i didn't come down from the big house to do that it and i think how doing it, so. you know you always associate barbecue with music too you know yep. and and particularly blues music and stuff so and that also is derived from from the same uh 
roots. Do you agree with For that? For sure. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, that was the that was when it became. You know, it's the true American cuisine, barbecue as we know it now. You know, we could fight about what, how did it evolve from a piece of 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 some antelope on an open fire, um, but but it did, and it, and it's American barbecue and. Uh, so my favorite story, it's in one of my books, is Louis Armstrong wrote a book called Strutting with Some Barbecue. And what they that was their slang for a good-looking woman. Oh. They, they like barbecue so much that they also like good-looking women so much. That was the slang. Wow. So, um, Ray, you have a new project that you're working on uh, from... The You know, you were with Bean Green Egg for a long time, and now you and I were talking about a new project that you're working on. Can you tell us about it? Because it's a pellet something equipment. Yeah, it's exciting. It's it's, it's a company. The the parent company's Dansons, and they have a line of pellet grills, mostly pellet grills. They have some other ones too, called Pit Boss that are available at Walmart and Lowe's and and mass market places. Well, they wanted to also have an elevated brand. So make them a little bit nicer and give it a different name to put in independent stores, the nice fancy stores, have something just a little bit nicer. And so they they, they created this Louisiana Grills, they call it, and they're just all, they're double walled instead of single walled, and it's got a nice gasket and lots of fancy stainless steel on them. And, and they just, you know, they just took their grills and said, what if we made a really nice version of this? And, and they wanted to get it rolling, and they hired me to be the chef for this project which is really exciting because I only get to cook on their nicest grills. Um, and, and it, you know, I've kind of done it before. I, we talked about Big Green Egg. Well, when I started that project, nobody knew who they were either. So mm -hmm. I think we're going to have some fun. I think it's, it's going to be a lot of fun for you, definitely. So uh, the name of the uh, grill again, what, what did you say the name oh, of the grill is? Louisiana Grills. Yeah, it's Louisiana kind of complicated. Louisiana Grills is the line of grills that I'm working for. Okay. And they're all over the Internet. Beautiful stuff. Mm -hmm. So that, that gives the opportunity for the novice, the novice to get into the barbecuing, I think. Uh, and it's, it's amazing how it's still evolving, you know. It's been around for so long, but yet it's, it's not going anywhere. It's just getting bigger. That's pretty incredible. It's amazing to me because we, you know, it's so literally 40 years ago i started with this and it was a casual hobby at the time but 30 years ago it wasn't and uh we we saw we thought it was going to grow and we saw the growth that has happened and i told you the story about that well that's enough barbecue cookbooks well clearly it wasn't and mm -hmm. and clearly barbecue continues to grow and it's just amazing to see and I, you know i like i take credit for it me and my friends have spent a lot of time explaining to people what a brisket is and and what a pork butt is and and how you should cook it properly but i think we've finally gotten there and it's really it's become mainstream and it's even blowing up more well i think that you were a pioneer i mean you're a pioneer in that uh in that uh, uh style of cooking and definitely you have made so many people Uh, I would say happy and and successful because of all the books and because of of all the all your approach. You have an approach that everybody can understand. Instead of, as, as an example, the French, they have so many technical world, and you go, what the heck did it say? And, and for you, it's yeah. like boom, 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 and the result is just delicious. That's what really, really makes it. The other things I love on your menu. And I have to say, cornbread Madeleine, that makes me so happy. <laughs> Madeleine. Yeah, man, I, oh. I knew you'd like that. I love that. I actually, I actually stole that idea from uh, Danny Meyer restaurant, uh, Blue Smoke in, in New York. Danny Meyer opened a barbecue restaurant in New York in like 2002. Everybody thought he was crazy, and it closed, unfortunately, during COVID. I think there's still some outposts. But anyway, I was in there, and they served us these beautiful, hot out of the oven Madeleines. They were crispy. And it was cornbread and, and with a dipping sauce. And I was like, wow, this is a great idea. Because, for one, it's a fun way to cook them but all, and serve them. But as a restaurant, it forces my team to cook them fresh. Now, they don't cook them fresh every time, but they cook them fresh multiple times a day as opposed to making a big pan of cornbread in the morning that we'd still be eating at night and it would be dry. But also it allows us to, you know, charge a little more for them because all my chef friends will understand that because they look kind of fancy so we can get a little more money out of that cornbread. 
Yeah, it's re it's really unique. That's what I, that's what I really love. But I was reading about it. It's like, oh man, prickly pear butter. I'm like, wow. This is, when I go there, definitely I will have that, and I will have a nice little glass of champagne with you. <laughs> Champ champagne and barbecue and sounds great. <laughs> well, Doctor Barbecue Welcome Ray, my friend, thank you so much for sharing your passion, your love. I am so looking forward to have you visit us here in Moab, Utah. You will love it. I mean, it's a, it's really, I call it in the middle of nowhere because we really are in the middle of nowhere. It's like 5,500 people live here, but it is so beautiful. It is so amazing. You will love it. Come to the house, baby. We will have a, you can will, teach me more barbecue. We're all getting to moving around a little bit more than we were for a while, so I expect I'll see you soon, Bernard. All right. Thank you so much, Ray. And yeah, uh, Ray. Every, everybody, don't forget, don't forget. Have fun cooking, especially on Father's Day. It's yeah. a barbecue. Ray, thanks for your time, and uh, we'll uh, see you down the road. All right, thanks, guys. It was a pleasure. Okay. Thank you, my friend. Take care. Give my best to Sandy. Love you guys. Chef's Adventures with Buck and Bernie airs on the first Monday of every month at 4 p.m. Head to kzmu.org for archives and recipes.